You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here are your hosts, Thaddeus and Gary. Thank you for logging on to Thank You for Your Servers. I'm Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. Joining me once again, Gary Guthrie. What's up, brother? Doing great here, trying to wrap up a three-day weekend after a trip to San Diego and probably way too much sun. Jealous. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Jealous. It's, I, I, got, you s- I got really sunburnt this weekend. It wasn't, oh, really? It wasn't fun, <laughs> but... No, I mean, the trip was fun, but the sunburn was not, so... Well, you know, it's we all have regrets after awesome long weekends, but it is what it is. I have I haven't been doing nearly as much sunning as you, but being of being that my melanin content's a little darker, I don't burn as easy. So that's always a positive. That's uh, good. Anyway, <laughs> I'm jealous. All right, enough. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. People love it. Yeah, I, I dig it as well. Um. Anyway, now that I now that we got our little banter out of the way, this is your weekly, semi-weekly, sort of weekly rant about the tech topics of the weeks from a Liberty perspective. This and other podcasts are brought to you by the Make Liberty Great Again network and family of podcasts. And so let's get into it. First things first, stream wars. Sounds ominous. Yeah, so basically, (laughs) for those of us who are nerds, be it Marvel Cinematic Universe nerds, or, you know, Star Wars nerds, or anything like that. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, Disney basically dropped the, the infinity gauntlet of all of its content that it's going to be wrapping up into what is going to be called Disney+. Plus. So, what's making what makes this super exciting, and which is definitely sh- going to kick off these streaming wars, is it is an awesome bundle that brings together Disney's Basically, I, I swear to God, infinity gauntlet worth of content like plays. <laughs> that's Disney itself. That's Pixar. That's Marvel. That's Star Wars. Um, re- remember, they own 20th Century Foxes too, right. as well. Um, and and like ESPN and ABC. And I mean, they're all these are all Disney companies. And the exciting like plethora. I mean, plethora of content, original content, that is, from, you know, they're going to do a adaptation or they're going to take from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a Hawkeye um, uh, television, original, original uh, program. They're going to do one for Falcon, uh, for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, which is going to bring like uh, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan together once again to play the Falcon and or Winter Soldier, respectively. And in that, there's going to be one that's called uh, Wanda and Vision. Basically, it's going to have um, Elizabeth Olsen, who played, of course, um, uh, you know, what is what's her, what is she the Scarlet Witch? 
I think. Don't right? ask me. You know what? I, yeah. I could ask my son. He's the, he's the big Marvel fan here, and I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. I guess he's so. already. If he catches wind of this, which he will, um, he's going to be geeking out over it big time, and I'll be paying the uh, twelve ninety nine a month. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because because here, yeah. So yeah. So not to bury the lead. So like the the, the service will uh, will kick off probably. Oh yeah. It says November twelfth. It will cost for now sixteen uh, six ninety nine a month. Oh, really? So seven bucks a month. Yes, that's just Disney Plus. So, but if you bundle, which the the, the thing I'm most very I'm, I'm most excited about is if you bundle its uh its family of services, i.e., you uh, obviously are going to do Disney Plus. You're obviously going to get you get ESPN because again that is also owned by Disney, and you're going to get Hulu, who has a stake in. Um, who who's Disney has a stake in, so you can actually get those three packaged together for thirteen bucks a month. Wow, it's you know, so for lack of a better word, man, take my money. Right. Um. So, but look, there's more. So on top of the fact that they've acquired like the complete Simpsons archive, which, I mean, I don't know why they need to acquire it; they own it now. Um, that'll be available on the service as well. There will also be, uh, you know, a Lady and the Tramp like live action m- movie. Yep. There will be spinoffs that will include um, some some characters from Rogue One are going to have a spinoff series. There's going to be the the greatly anticipated live action Star Wars series, The Mandalorians. There will also be a Obi Wan Kenobi like spinoff TV show that will bring back, uh, you, you know, uh, was it, is it Ian McGregor? Yes. Uh, you know, reprising his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, tons of cartoons, tons of, you know, they're bringing, I, I, I actually heard that they're bringing back like not, uh, not Hannah Montana, but like the other, like Lizzie McGuire. I mean, wow. it's, they, they lay down the SmackDown. Um, they are, are, are going to come, to play when it comes when they launch in the fall if they could launch and if they could bring back song of the south i'd be you sign me up right now you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> i mean that and you know ducktales and oh, all you know, the even some other all things. the all the good stuff yeah oh dude it's it's you know so like there's going to be i guess over time like a lot almost all the, the disney classics are going to start showing up on this Disney Plus service, and I, I was like, holy cow! Like that's, that is a compelling op. That that is compelling. Um, it's going to definitely uh, prompt me to rearrange my my order of priority of services I pay for, and it's you know I mean because I can combine my Hulu now with this. I mean they're joining HBO, Netflix, CBS, Showtime, Stars, HBO Max. I mean, and then of course AT and T, which we'll discuss here in a minute, who are all going all in on streaming. Yeah, and it's going to be a thermonuclear exchange. Adding to the more streaming services that will be showing up is Apple's streaming service will be showing up here in in the November time frame as well. It will launch for about nine ninety nine. It will have its own plethora of of original content and programming. Um, you know, I, I've heard less about them. Um, then, you know, there's not, there's, you know, they, they announced a lot of hype. They're doing some stuff with Spielberg They're doing some stuff with Oprah Winfrey. Um, they're doing some sci-fi stuff. They're doing some documentary stuff and they're just adding 
to I mean, they're also they're the set top box player. Right. Right. Because you're obviously going to get Disney Plus Hulu, you know, Disney Plus, And of course, you already get Netflix and other things on these Apple TV set top boxes. But they're adding a, a, an additional value proposition in the form of Apple TV Plus. Also set to debut in November, and that will again be $9.99. So everybody is getting into the game. Um, but the person, but the people who are in the game currently and are going to find a way to screw it up is AT&T. So AT&T, uh, as we know, acquired um, DirecTV about a, what, a couple years ago? Yeah. Two, three years ago? I don't remember. And so they've been for a while, because I think DirecTV before the acquisition had DirecTV now, which was kind of an over-the-top service that didn't require you to actually have a satellite dish, but you could just an over-the-top service for those who are uninitiated. It's basically you get it over the internet, and it's basically the same cable experience you would get with DirecTV or or Comcast for some of us or Charter or whatever, depending on what region of the country you live in. But you would just get that over the internet as opposed to over the wires. I mean, there's, there's it's still coming over the same physical wires that your cable company uses or your phone company uses, but it would just be um, IP-based. So they, uh, of course, uh, were kind of killing it with DirecTV now. They got acquired. AT&T is now rebranding DirecTV now. Um, AT&T TV now or something like that. And now and now they're basically making the streaming products, these over-the-top products, almost as expensive as just if you were to just bundle your soon-to-have soon to, soon to have, uh, Disney Plus, plus, you know, let's say a YouTube TV and, and, you can buy, and a Netflix, you can bind those together, you will potentially still be paying less if you bundle those three services together than if you go with one of AT&T services because they've raised the rates now. And so, like, I, the perfect summary from this um, uh, from this uh, Ars Technica article about why they're raising these prices, because they're going to they're, basically it's going to be up to one hundred and thirty five bucks a month, which is essentially what most people were paying long before the streaming revolution happened and people started and these services started to disaggregate. So that's why when I said, like, hey, you can, you know, basically bundle three or four services together and pay and pay way less than one hundred thirty five a month. Um, and so they've done that to all of their kind of entertainment offerings. They just kind of bumped up the price. Um, and this, and they've, they've introduced this really weird tiered pricing scheme, which is something that's very annoying, even in the streaming services. Cause sometimes you can get a like sling TV. There's like three tiers, right? And depending on what tier you get, you get a certain mix of channels. Um, that's annoying, but again, it's still cheaper then still going with an incumbent service that's trying to be an over-the-top service, but is basically regressing back to its old ways. And the pull quote from the Ars Technica article when we're dealing with uh, AT&T is basically, in summary, AT&T has taken many of the pricing annoyances the consumers hated about cable and satellite and just brought them to online streaming services. And it shows they've lost nearly a million subscribers um, uh, in Q2 of this year. Because they're no, because this pricing model isn't going to well, work. And forever. yeah, you know what? One of the things that really always bugs me about these pricing, is they, you know, they show up at your door, they they hand you the sheet with all their channels, and they and then they still focus on, you know, I'm looking at the at the pricing ranges here. You know, entertainment, choice, extra, ultimate, whatever. All they're saying is 
this is how many channels you get. And it's like, I don't care what channel, you know, how many channels I got. I want to know what channels I'm getting. And there's no easy way to compare them. Um, you know, Cox is still doing the same thing here where it's like, okay, well, you're going to get this package plus this package. I'm like, well, it's very confusing and it always has been to me. And I really, like you said, you know, I hate it. Hey, and no, and no offense to most of our, 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 you know, listeners and stuff like that. It's not a boom. It's, you know, Gary's not having a boomer moment. I mean, that's right. true. I mean, it, it is absolutely confusing. It's totally confusing. <laughs> Even for those of us that actually pay and attention. And you can't keep up with yeah. it because like, they'll you, change, you know, quarterly. The lineups and, the, and yeah, certain things will graduate to other tiers to be demoted, it, it, you know, and it. And it gets very confusing for the end, end user because there's all these incumbent, all these encumbered contracts and stuff like that. And like, well, you know, um, you know, there's a dispute between Stars and and you know, name a cable company, and so now Stars goes away. But I was paying for Stars. Why the hell is it right. not there anymore? And then, and I think as this disaggregation has happened, a lot of the slow killing of the incumbent cable companies is the fact that these content creators are now spinning out their own streaming services um and because they're they're holding on to their content and they're making it very very hard for the cable companies to aggregate all these all the content together that's why the price goes up i mean the fact that the matter is the reason why content is so expensive is particularly when it comes to like at&t direct tv and stuff like that disney Right, because it's all or nothing with Disney on these on, on these these. You know, this was this is an argument in the early two thousands about carriage, carriage fees, right? Like most of what you are paying for monthly in your cable bundle are these carriage fees from these conglomerations of of, of content providers. So you're paying, and, and and Disney is the highest. It's the most yeah. expensive. Um, you know, it's it's in, in some I've read in some estimates it's thirty percent of your bill. <laughs> goes to Disney and it's an amalgamation of channels and content that it then sells back to these companies. So they're, it's funny, they're squeezing big companies like, uh, like uh, Sony and Disney and uh, CBS uh, Interact, or CBS, I think I forgot, or CBS Viacom and stuff like that are squeezing these cable, um, these cable providers. But at the same time, they're launching probably, ironically enough, these streaming services that go over the top that honestly use a lot of the cable providers infrastructure right. to do it. Um, and you're just like, so, I mean, in the future, does that mean then that like maybe if Disney sees or NBC universal or CBS Viacom has its own over the top service where it's getting some revenue that maybe it will probably try to bring down the carriage fee prices for the cable providers. And maybe then the cable providers can then, compete a little better i doubt it i think they're going to squeeze both ends whereas like, yeah 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 we're testing the waters with the streaming service and stuff and, and you know and a lot of these guys do exclusive content that you're not going to get sure. on cable like cbs interactive uh, cbs i keep saying interactive cbs viacom with their cbs all access i mean there's like four or five original tv shows that are on cbs that you cannot get if you have a yep. cable subscription uh, um start the uh, that awful star trek um you know discovery being one of them um and, and hopefully they don't screw up you know picard when it comes out here um next year um but i mean that's a that's why that's one of that and of course the the shows that cbs has that's a lot of the reason why like we pay them 
what is CBS All Access? I think it's like five bucks a month. It's pretty mm-hmm. cheap. Um, and, and yeah, just to be like, yeah, I'm like I, I want that exclusive content and stuff like that. In the meanwhile, though, if you're back in the Stone Age, oh, well, not even the Stone Age, right? Because you can get these over-the-top packages that still have these channels, but for the rest of the country that is still kind of relied on your AT&Ts, your Comcasts, your Charters, your um, again, depending, you know, Time Warners. It depends on your region of the country. Um, these people get squeezed more and more and more. I, I kind of feel like, am I sub? Am I? Are they subsidizing my ability to just, you know, go over the top and like buy these services separately? Hmm. I don't know. Um, it, it's it, it's 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 going to be a lot. All, all I know is it, like entertainment is going to get a lot better, but it's going to be terribly fragmented and expensive. And I think we're starting to see the disaggregation of this whole paradigm, particularly from the particularly on the cable subscription front. Yeah. Right. Um, these bundles and these packages front. I think this this is going to get ripped. Well, you apart know what I you, you know what I'm really together at some point. I, I, I'm kind of seeing on my end, at least in my own family, you know, we, we're focusing, you know, we talk about the exclusive content and things like that, you know, with Netflix coming out with their own series, you know, Stranger Things, of course, being the 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 giant one right now. Um, but they're the current cause. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of other ones. My wife's really into this new show called The OA. And I'm what I'm seeing is um, there's a lot more focus at a human level or at a cultural level now on what that content is versus where you're getting the content or what, you know, because it used to be all about, oh, I got HBO, I got a, you know, Showtime, I got cinema. And now it's more like, okay, well, I want this content. It's more content focused more versus uh, channel focused, if you will, right? And uh, when people know what the content is they want, you want the Marvel Comics universe or the Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe. You're going to go with Disney Plus, obviously, right? And uh, it. Yeah, and then actually, I think if you want the DC Universe, I think there's a DC Universe <laughs> uh, streaming service. Sure. Actually, that so exists. It's, it, it, there's. It, for me, it's kind of yeah, it's going to get all fragmented and weird, but. I kind of like it actually uh, just from a standpoint of I know what I want I know what I'm interested in if you had a streaming service that all it did was do home improvement stuff I would be all over that for ten dollars a month you know <laughs> but that's just me I I don't know that there's a real market for it but it, we're, I think we're seeing much more content focused versus channel focused approach at least on the consumer side yeah and I think from a corporate side though that's going to be disheartening because of the um you know basically this aggregation right they like they become the they made their bones particularly the cable companies aggregating this stuff now that won't be the case and because yeah it is very it is very content focused right like to the point where now you there's a lot of exclusives that you can't buy quick because i would typically a lot of shows from you know behind showtime's paywall or hbo i would just buy week to week if they allowed me to but sometimes they don't allow they they don't right. do that right you can't you have buy to get week the to whole week. service you have right to get like the you package used to or whatever. you got to get the whole service and stuff like that and so the so that's another way of kind of locking people in and stuff there, there's going to be a thousand and one business models of doing this you know piracy is not that big of a deal anymore people still do it but like people actually who pirate have a nasty tendency to almost buy more content or ingest more content sure. anyway and i think they've kind of they're kind of dealing with that love-hate relationship, kind of like MP3s. And, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, not to get into, you know, we don't want to, I guess, belabor this too much longer, right? Because this is a, this is a big yeah, topic. Is. 
right? <laughs> when you get into like what's happening, what's going to be happening, you know, it's exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to all this new content that's going to be created in the next six months. I mean, from, you know, Netflix, CBS, All Access, uh, you know, has great stuff. I think this Disney Plus is going to be phenomenal. I mean, and it's just going to be a lot of great content that's going to waste a lot of our times. But, yeah, it's going to get fragmented and very expensive um, for the foreseeable future um, because inevitably people are going to want to consolidate all this crap and, you know. It'll be we'll interesting. See. But I'm excited about Disney+. Plus. <laughs> yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. So, yeah, man, moving on, man. So now we're gonna, we get to talk about AI, which is my, my favorite bugaboo subject, and the global AI race. Um, this is more along the lines of the, you know, now you're starting to see articles. And I think this, was it last week or a couple of weeks ago, the Trump administration signed a, uh, I guess, what is it? An executive order that says we're going to focus on AI. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, uh, launching the American AI initiative. It doesn't allocate any funds. It doesn't do anything except like, hey, here's these overarching principles that we want to address based that when dealing with AI. And we'll get back to you in six months with more detail. <laughs> so basically not, not, basically right. not a lot, right? Um, and so like what prompted me to do this was like just kind of reading this article from uh, TechCrunch, which we have in the show notes, um, you know, the saying that, you know, this initiative is actually a good first step, but, you know, lamenting the fact that like, you know, the government didn't allocate a whole lot of direction. And that, but get, that gets... That gets my dander up because it's just like you don't need direction, right? There's this is a very, there's a very vibrant uh, AI uh, research, uh, industrial research, um, uh, academic research environment, and and in out there, you don't really need, um, I don't know, government direction. You mean you know you know, you maybe you want to have a vision that is uh, emanated down from on high. But the, the the industry is moving on without it, right? It doesn't need, you know, it doesn't need an executive order that says you, you we should, we as a national priority we now focus. But on here's AI. the thing that's already happening. Donald Trump needs something in place so that in a year or two, when some major breakthrough comes around, he can go see. I told them to do this. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's right. out of line. Which, but that's never. <laughs> that's 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 never been the case. The only thing the government has ever been guilty of or at least successful in doing is getting the hell out of the way. And I mean, that's from like, it's like, it's funny because there's all this revisionist history about the government invented the internet. No, no. they didn't. The government <laughs> did not invent it. They funded research in it, which, yeah, it's possession sign tends to the law, but like then it didn't do anything with it for a decade until like they created legislation that says, hey, you can do commercial stuff now, i.e. they got out of the way. Right. And then that allowed the internet to do what it did. I don't want government to step into AI per se and think it can dictate where research goes. Hmm. And it's, here's the deal. The government has funded this research for almost 50 years when it comes to artificial intelligence. There have been many podcasts I've listened to from many old school researchers who have, who have lived through funding winters they they call these the ai winters um where the government gets very excited about something they start throwing money at it and or initiatives and or direction at it or 
Because really, mainly what this executive order does is it basically gives other elements of the federal government the justification to allocate more of their existing funds toward more AI-driven research. Mm-hmm. Right. The DOD is already spending money on this stuff. Uh, the National Institutes of Standards and Technology is already doing this. The CDC is already doing this. This the, the, the All you have to do is go to a government website that is calling for any government agency that's looking for RFPs or requests for proposals. And you will see li- a litany of proposals that they're willing to fund that, will ha- that has a machine learning or AI component. It's kind of like the insidious relationship w- between climate science and research and fund government funding where if it's that if that's the cause celeb if you want to get government funding you put climate change and or global warming and or whatever you want to call it into your request for proposal so you can get the research grant and dollars and and and, and other initiatives and stuff like that the same thing happens in venture capital too right now there is an ai machine learning boom but uh, we've discussed the fact that like a lot of this is hype. Like if you dig down deep into the research, right? It's hype. It, it, it's a way it, to get. It's know, a way to get more it's, money. It's, it's a way to, like you said, cause celeb, right? Yeah, it's the hot. It's the hotness yep. right now. Um, and a a government AI initiative is nothing more. It's kind of like the brain initiative that the Obama administration signed, right? You know, I read an article about that a couple of month, about a month or so ago. It's just like uh, they got a lot of money, and they're really no closer to um, some of their goals, right? Which is like, well, that's true because like the government just can't say on high, like I by this de- decree, <laughs> we allocate resources to find out how the brain and works, therefore, and we will have advances. Yeah, will. Yes, and therefore shall have and advancements, we will right? Cure cancer. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, yeah, like that stuff. Or we will cure AIDS or we will get in the meanwhile, the money is nice, but it's irrelevant to f- ultimately finding solutions to these problems. I, I always ask this question, particularly when there's a new technology, because I'm also a big, you know, follower of quantum information sciences as well. Why does the government have to always try to build a Manhattan project for X? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Because it's it, it's just because you did the Manhattan Project once, which one would argue was probably an incredible waste of resources, but the end result was a big bomb and we won the war. And so by virtue of the fact that like you the government as an entity put its mind towards something which is truly which is really good at and that's killing people efficiently. Um, and they think that they can take that same methodology for developing a weapon to end a war and kill people with like, well, then we can do a Manhattan Project for X. No, that's not how that works, right? Same thing. Like, we can do moonshots, moonshots. Do you know how incredibly wasteful the space oh, race totally. was? And I, 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 I absolutely get that it was awesome to be, you know, put some people on the moon, put the flag in the ground, USA, USA, you know, that was awesome. However, comma, that was a tremendous waste of yeah, resources. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and I mean, you, to objectively look at it, was it necessary? I mean, from, you know, my net, put my net MAGA hat on, yeah, maybe. But I mean, but 
my liber- liberty hat is just like nah. It was a it was you know in my Austrian economic hat. It was like nah. It was completely waste well, of resources. And 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 you look back. Who actually won by getting the the men to the moon? I mean, did the Russians win because they ultimately said, eh, okay, we're done. You know, we'd rather yeah. use our resources. Yeah, no, no, the space elsewhere. race. <laughs> Right, to suppress our people and build more weapons. And that's, that's what they <laughs> right. ended up doing. That's what the Russians True. ended up doing. And, and, and so, like, yeah, I'm not saying that there was no value. And I'm not saying that maybe if a government were to put billions of dollars behind some initiative that it won't come out of the other end with something. But I think well, the one thing, we're learning the one that thing now. The, the space race did, again, from a culture, I, I tend to lean to a cultural perspective, is it did kind of homogenize the United States, the United States people and really gave everybody a common focus, even though it was a complete waste. Yes. It really did bring everyone together and kind of said, OK, it, it would. Yeah. But how do you tangibly quantitatively measure how many people it inspired uh, i don't know i mean viewership I, I don't know i mean as soon as that started dying i, I, I off, mean uh, right right, it, because, right so yeah yeah i mean it, but i mean how many you know tech entrepreneurs and people like that are, have been inspired by the space race right you could maybe say but that's just a statement that someone makes like what? What got you into computer science? Oh, I was when I was growing up. I watched you know, you know, the shuttle Discovery or whatever, and that made me want to. You know, I mean, you can't That's measure true. that. You can't. But I, th- I think more than anything, <laughs> I, I mean, mean it, no more than you can measure an it, Asimov novel yeah, making people want to develop AI. It just kind of, it just kind of. I think it did what it needed to do, which and maybe it was just a big distraction from the Cold War. You know, maybe it was something to give something give everybody something to feel good about. I don't know. But I, I, I think oh, actually you're, you might be onto something there, right? Because at the end of the day, all these things, particularly, particularly even with the latest American AI initiative, are dual use mm-hmm. technologies, right? right? Um, AI will be a weapon in the future. The space was a battle space at the time. And the ability to rain nuclear death nuclear holocaust and death on your enemies from space was probably one oh, of the drivers definitely one of the drivers That's why we we, we, we we can put a man on a you know, we can space put a man on the moon we can put a missile in your backyard i mean that was part of the message i mean let's right. be clear right i mean <laughs> that was always yeah that's the yeah star wars was yeah. the same way right like the, the whole sd sdi uh you know so i don't know maybe this maybe i don't know but the fact is they're just there's already industrial might behind AI, both in academia. Like, like I always used to hear people lament the fact that we don't have great research labs like, like Bell Labs and Skunk Works and stuff like that. Well, that's a lie. Right. Right. Particularly in mm-hmm. AI, I can point to three that are doing this. Like four, right? Microsoft Research, um, Deep DeepMind, uh, Google Brain, uh, OpenAI, the Allen Institute. Um, MIT, from a, from an academics point of view, um, Stanford. All, I mean, all these. You know, Facebook has AI. IBM has a AI um, a division. Um, you know, everyone has is doing this research. Um, there's a venture capital boom right now that we discussed in the last episode, where people are simply out of whole cloth, just like, hey, I have a pitch deck. It's just some new piece of software as a service that we're offering that uses machine learning and AI, right? When it really isn't, it's just using statistical methods in machine learning. But 
there's money flowing into yep. it. That's yeah. the point. And there are other governments wasting money on this too. There's tons of within the Department of Defense, the Department of Energy, and other you know three-letter agencies. There's tons of research dollars going toward doing this in-house and doing it out you know you know outside and partnering with universities and defense contractors. To think that there's no money needed, to think that there's more money needed for this initiative from on high, is silly. The only thing I can say about this American AI initiative is, all right, well, at least we're focused on it. Because it is the, it is the battle space of the future. I mean, that's, oh, sure. That's, that's become quite sure, sure. obvious. Um, and so, yeah, it's, you know, I, 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 um, I lament about it. I mean, I think it's interesting. I think it, you know, it, there's also in the show notes a kind of a link to from the CIFAR, uh, a Canadian organization that kind of breaks down what everybody's spending globally. Um, what country what country initiatives are being spent globally? I mean, the Brits are spending about a billion. Um, you know, um, there's I think there's 18 countries that they've that they looked at in this in this, um, in this uh, research paper or or industry outlook paper that they wrote that basically says like yeah, there's national and regional interest in doing AI well. Um, you know, there's ethics involved with it. There's money involved with it. And countries are taking it seriously. Some are actually committing funds to it. Others are just trying to do what this Trump executive order is. It's just like get the nation at least focused, get the nation and it and the bureaucracies within it focused on the initiative as a whole. And yeah, there's dual use and it's a dual use thing coming. So, you know, i.e., there will be militarization of the technology, despite what the feel-good AI ethicists want to say. The reason you get advancements in anything is because of its dual use. Nuclear power wasn't built simply because we, you know, we wanted to power the world and, you know, and then, and, and, you know, kumbaya it. We needed yep. it for weapons. And so it's, it's, it's why we went with, you know, not thorium reactors. We went with right. uranium, <laughs> right, and plutonium. Right. Right. Because so, you can yeah, make fuel and so, you know, weapons at the same time. And <laughs> weapons. Two weapons at the same time. So, and so, so to think that, like, we're not going to – to think that no one else is going to weaponize AI against us and that we should somehow maybe lay out some ethical framework for how AI is to be used, which is silly because in war that doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, that's just, I don't know. I don't really know where I was going with this. I just think, I, I just thought it was interesting. I think now that there's focus on it now and, and they, you know, people may be lamenting the fact that maybe, you know, this executive order should have came with like some money attached to it and stuff. This is like, and I'm saying like, we don't need to. I, don't, I, I just, it's, it. it just, there's to me, it's just so around. weird that it's coming so late in the game. And so you just kind of off, I don't know. I, I don't see why trump decided to suddenly address i i don't know it's just it's 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 kind of like you know the kid running after the bus saying wait for me i i i don't know it's uh it's yeah, a very it, yeah. industry is already on this man bizarre industry thing, is anyway. already on this yeah yeah well anyway yeah i think we've beaten that dead horse but i mean you know just keep an eye on that uh, uh, there'll probably be more a, a more of a detailed breakdown of this initiative um, as they kind of break out these key areas of research and development and freeing resources and ethical standards, automation, international outreach. And they, they're going to come up with, you know, basically more um, a more detailed proposal 
based on this executive order, which basically says come up with a more detailed proposal, which is why the executive orders are kind of pointless and worthless. All right, so moving on to something that is near and dear to me and Gary's heart, and that is the breakout year, after a breakout year, looking ahead to the future of podcasting. Yes. So, (laughs) yes. So uh, I think... You know, we could kind of play off the article here that w- was written in TechCrunch again um, about, you know, the uh, what is it? So it says like more than half of, uh, half of Americans have now listened to a podcast and an estimated 32 percent listen monthly up from 26 uh, percent last year. I guess this is according this is this year and as opposed to 2018, um, this has kind of been the largest increase you know, yearly increase since uh, the data started being tracked back in 2008, which wasn't the genesis of podcast. I've been listening to podcasts since 2004. Shit, went heck, 2002. Um, so they're saying there are more than 700,000 podcasts and 29 million podcast episodes um, uh, now. Um, that's up 27% from, you know, 2018. Um, you know, there's huge listener bases that are being created. There's a podcast created every month or every day. It seems like, I mean, hell we were, what are we, you know, month three or four here or something ours. like that. Yep. Um, something like that. And so like, it's, there's just, there's going to be a lot of money, uh, to go around in the future right now that the celebrities are starting to enter the fray. Um, you know, but there's listenership. The point is there's tons of listenership, um, the, it, particularly here in North America, where we have a captive market of, you know, about 400 million. Um, and then, of course, you have Europe. Um, this article actually kind of breaks out like, you know, like, hey, like podcasts going international and, the, you know, people doing actual um, uh, native language versions of their said podcasts in other markets. Mm. You got to think, though, that most of the most of the war- industrialized world speaks some form of English. Right. Um, so that means uh, from an addressable market standpoint, um, there are literally a billion potential global listeners. Um, and so now the money's coming in to see if there's a way to monetize that potential listener base that grows, you know, on a, on an annual basis, you know, you know, 30, 40, 50% a year. And um, so that, you know, there's Spotify's plan, uh, uh, plans to spend 500 million on acquisitions this year um, to, you know, kind of bolster its 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 listener base. A side note about Spotify. Um, Spotify is killing it. Um, They have someone said they have 100 million active monthly users and like 20 percent of them pay. I mean, they're, they're, you know, so that's like what ten isn't Spotify it's ten bucks 10 a month? Ten bucks a month, yeah. And like, yeah, and they're they're I mean they're making anywhere from two hundred million to five hundred, you know, to maybe five hundred million a month. And uh, they're and if they get into the podcast game, and I was actually listening to um, a podcast called the Arti- Artificial Intelligence Podcast with a guy named Relax Friedman, and he had one of the founders of Spotify on there. They're even thinking about building not no, not just building platforms for distribution of podcasts, which is what you know Apple does, which Google does, but actually building in additional infrastructure and services 
and probably software services that allow better production and monetization that of podcasts. Could be huge. And better production and monetization of even music, like using AI algorithms to give feedback to artists that kind of that, that help them create better sticky more more uh, uh more like engaging music and uh, spotify is probably one of those companies that it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna mainly be music and it's 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 cracked that nut but if they can get into other verticals particularly podcasting particularly if they help people monetize podcasts globally because spotify is a global company and Honestly, kind of like what YouTube has been trying to do, but has been kind of done in fits and starts, and that is offer tools to producers and creators on your platform. Then they've built this vertical integration that maybe we start publishing some of, maybe we do some deals with Spotify if it gives us access to Spotify listeners and their ecosystem and, you know, tools to help us make better content. Do you content. see them uh, putting together guess, marketing facets to it as well? Or Yes. Yes. They've absolutely positively talked about that. It's why they are acquiring this uh, GimNet Studio. Um, uh, it, it, it's a, you know, a tech platform anchor. Um, and then they, they're acquiring content networks oh. as well. And basically, you're going to, yeah, yeah, like they released uh, an analytics dashboard oh, wow. for podcasters. And, 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 you know, and it's, you know, like, I mean, Google is adding like uh, playable podcasts and search results. Um, Pandora is still in the game. Apple's still the, you know, 800 pound gorilla when it comes to distribution. If they get smart about it, they'll start offering more, they'll be more upfront about maybe offering a full stack offering for podcasters such as ourselves right so i the future is very very bright for podcasting and in that that sense um and now that you have you know celebrities stepping into the game it's going to raise the profile more there's still a huge addressable market that has yet to be touched by podcasts um and then and then there's i was looking at some additional things like how listeners find out about new podcasts um, social media mm -hmm. is how they do word of mouth, um, podcast apps and, uh, software platforms. And so like, or from other podcasts. So like that's, that's half, you know, so we're not even touching that, uh, yet. Well, um, start plugging in some AI that does know, some uh, content analysis to understand kind of what the podcast is or what the tone of the podcast is, or, you know, you start going down that road and my God, you're, you know, I'm, I'm looking for something that's approaching this subject from this point of view. And who knows out there, Google's already done the analysis said, oh, you might be interested in this one or this particular episode of this one kind of thing. Yeah, no, this is true. And, you know, uh, I think this year we're expecting revenues in the podcast ad revenue to be 480 wow. million in spend. Um, and it's projected to be about 680 million. I'm sorry, this year. So last year it was 480 in, in advertising spends, uh, spending, and now it'll be 680 going into this year. So that you know, over the past four years, ad revenue has scaled up at a 65% CAGR rate. Um, 
So that's hey, kind maybe, of an annual maybe we can metric. make like nineteen dollars a month. I'll pay for our Disney Plus. Yeah, <laughs> I would. Pre- I I would prefer for it to pay for all my streaming services, which would mean it would need to. I we would need to make sixty bucks a month. Okay, each. well we got a little work to do then. <laughs> You got a little work to do, right? You got to get some sponsors <laughs> and stuff like that. But no, this is I, 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 I was very fascinated by this article. Um, the only thing that kind of yeah, it kind of raised my ire because I saw like a, a someone posted a uh, something on Twitter about you know podcasting being you know suddenly being this awesome thing because you know Conan O'Brien's on it and stuff. It's like, dude, this podcast people have been grinding at the podcast game for a, well over a decade. Um, just because some famous people step into it now doesn't mean that it's you know, it's it now it's it's going to be an asymptotic growth curve yeah. now, um, because because a lot of celebrities are just using this kind of like it's social media. They're using this as a much more yeah self promotion, a much more intimate form of yeah. self promotion, um, which I've always found better. Like people think video, and people always say video. And I t- talked to a friend last night who who was you know he was him and his band were doing um, practicing and stuff, and just kind of talking to him offline. He's like, oh, you guys should do video for your podcast. Like, no, no. I take the the much more, video will be a component in the future. I would imagine, right? I mean, you know, if if you're listening, Ryan, <laughs> I'll be working on that. Um, and so, and then, but I think I take the. I hate to invoke his name, but the guy is better. Is, is is the is the best at this. I take the Rush Limbaugh approach to how audio as a medium is a lot warmer and a lot better means of painting a picture voice is a much better way of painting a pic- and it's very passive yeah like you can listen to a podcast while you're working like i was brewing the other day and i was just listening yep. to podcasts right and it's a very passive activity it's very informative it's 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 much more long form and you 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 get better rates of take a pickup and stuff you build a loyal fan base and stuff like that so they're saying podcast advertising revenue between uh, 2015 and 2021. Basically, they're they're projecting, they're projecting it being a billion dollars. Wow. So, and to think if it were to me if it were to go globally, right, it will be probably tens of billions of dollars, right, by 2021, 2025. More, more. I, I'm thinking more 2025, but that's just me pulling a number out of my butt. So you know, you know this. This is good stuff, man. It's good stuff for sure. us. Um, you know, you know, we if we if we keep grinding at this for the next couple of years, we you know we'll be making you know might be making one hundred twenty dollars yeah. an episode, <laughs> or or maybe just one hundred twenty bucks a month. I'll settle. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> but it, it's, but I think we I think we said I think we said like in the po- in, in you know in pre-show right. Yeah, if the podcast threw off a couple hundred bucks a month for us, yeah, okay. Right. I mean, you know, for, for, you know, not a lot of effort. Here's my thing, you know, know, like, like you said, it's a hobby and it's one that we enjoy and if it helps fund our other hobby of brewing beer, then, um, I'm down for that. Hey, remind me to like post show to kind of pitch an idea for an episode about homebrew tech. Ooh, I love it. I'm I'm down for that. Oh yeah, dude. Uh, Just, just a state of the homebrew hobby industry, like the, technologies the the just yeah yeah, yeah. We'll, okay. we'll talk yeah, about, yeah. about it we well, don't let, want to get well, about it now that's yeah. that's what we call a teaser <laughs> <laughs> yes it's a teaser that that would be hey if we had a paywall that would be 
bonus content behind the paywall where <laughs> me and Gary wax eloquent about the, 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 the advances in brewing technology. Particularly, like, I, I've been reading a lot of stuff about yeast. Wow. Those things are amazing. Oh, yeah. Little cell factories that can do all I, kinds I am of a stuff. Big yeast. I actually have a whole book on. You know what? We're getting off topic here. We need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, see, see, see it happy. <laughs> all right. So, so on that, on that, on that happy note, now we're going to go into what I call my social justice portion of it, where now Google's SJW clampdown begins. So let me set this up because it's. It's the thing we lament about a lot. <clears throat> so I looked at a, uh, it's, it will be in the show notes. It's the next web article that basically says like Google's new policy forbids employees from raging, having raging debates over politics. So in order to truly understand the context of this article, we have to go back to an article written by Wired. Uh, God, when was it? Let me scroll up here. Written back on August 13th. And the name of the article is Three Years of Misery Inside Google, the Happiest Tech, the Happiest Company in Tech. And this story goes over kind of the last three years of scandals that Google has had to deal with, tamp down, and um, kind of it, it, a lot of its dirty laundry had been aired. And generally speaking, inside Google, there are private kind of Google Plus groups for those of us not familiar. For those of us who you know remember Google Plus, pour a little out for it. It was a social media um, platform, kind of like Facebook, um, but you know very short. It was very short lived. It grew very quickly, and then it kind of fell off because it wasn't as good as Facebook and some other issues. Google doesn't really do social that well, and, and tr- truth be told, it really it it's, it does productivity better than it does social, but that's another story. So basically, within a lot of uh, Google's, these little inner kind of uh, Google plus groups, they have these very, they have a lot of raging debates about, you know, cultural issues, uh, you know, issues within the company. Um, There's also, you know, I guess there was one group for people who like, uh, uh, coffee beans. There's one discussing diversity. There's one discussing polyamorists within <laughs> Google. Um, there's there's a lot of these kind of crazy social groups, right? And 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 they've always been very aggressive in challenging um, the corporate CEOs and those in the C-suites and stuff like that because people in the C-suites within Google have you know uh, these all hands meetings. I don't know if they're weekly or biweekly or monthly and stuff like that. And so it, it, it prided itself on being a culture of openness and vigorous debate and, and all this other stuff. So what's been going on for the past couple of years is, for lack of a better word, another case of really how Trump derangement syndrome has broken a lot of stuff. 26, I won't even say Trump derangement syndrome, right? I won't even make it that partisan. I would say 2016 broke a lot of things. Broke a lot of people, broke a lot of things. And this is kind of what started back, uh, you know, the backlash against Google. Um, Not to mention the fact that it's been kind of somewhat proven that they're in trying to implement algorithmic unfairness. They're being certainly unfair to certain groups. Um, There was the James Damore debacle, which happened. There was the Andy Rubin debacle that happened. Andy Rubin, of course, was the co-founder of Google. 
of, of Android that got acquired by Google. And apparently he was kind of a kind of a douchebag and like like a womanizer and stuff like that. And, a, and a, 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 I guess a a consummate harasser of the female help. Mm-hmm. Um, he left the company with a $90 million oh, exit, um, um, which honestly, truly he, this is unpopular opinion. If that was put into place prior to him being found out as being a creep, the company was obligated to give him that money and then kick him out the door. Um, but of course, because of this, um, the women at Google, um, you know, uh, there, there was some activist women at Google staged this uh, walkout in 2018 to kind of protest this. Generally speaking, I think eh, that's a good thing, right? Because it's like, yeah, it's kind of a douchey move, right? To like this guy who you know was a piece of garbage just because he he ran a division that has now moved the company toward a mobile first approach and and other things like that. And that, that, that doesn't mean that like you allow the guy to get away with like douchebaggery. Right. <laughs> and harassment, right? So that that made sense. So, but here's the deal: there's these group of rabble rousers within the company that have been giving people lots of headaches, and they're social justice and feminist types. And it's been and it's been making it very, very hard for Google to do its business because every time it's either a walkout, it's them fomenting dissent when it comes to um, the project. Of course, the article. Um, uh, I guess chronicles the beginnings and the ends of Project Maven, which was basically a DOD project for using it. Uh, it was a kind of a proof of concept. Can you use, you know, Google's AI to identify targets for drones um, and stuff like that? And then there was also this kind of SJW type who was by the name of Liz Fong Jones, who I think I think was transgender who, you know, a site reliability engineer, really beloved by certain people, but, but, but always towed the far leftist line and led the, basically led a lot of the, you know, witch hunts within Google against James Damore, um, of course, the Andy Rubin thing, of course, working with, um, you know, Project Dragonfly, which was a, basically a Google effort to try to sneak back into China with a very censored search, uh, search product. And basically, they the and then of course they of course chronicle a right wing uh, engineer. Um, they make him out to be the villain in the Wired story, um, because he was inside, uh, like basically pushing against a lot of the social justice agenda within Google. He had HR warnings about him and stuff. They, you know, they tend to they tend to make the guy out. He's a Chrome engineer. They, he was a Chrome engineer. They tend to make the guy out to be um, pretty much the uh, uh, mm-hmm. antagonist. Of the story instead of the protagonists of the story, which are these heroines within Google who were whatever. So basically, long story short, after this story, which basically chronicles all the 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 stuff that went wrong in the last three years that make Google look really, really bad, that a lot of leaked internal documents, which we've been reading here on this show for the last couple of, you know, last couple of uh, of weeks. Um, and it's basically raised the ire of the federal government and um, in, in, in within the state of California, a lot of like other things that have uh, uh, there. They have a national, they have a, re- a labor relations board um, for, you know, doing stuff for wrongful termination. You have lawsuits coming up. And so now they're getting a lot of government ire. 
Um, and, and now, like, the company's basically pushing back on this by basically saying, like, look, these raging debates that we were having, um, while it, we still want it to be part of our culture, like, it's gotten a little out of hand, right? To the point where, like, they don't do the all hands anymore because they've just become, like, shouting matches of, you know, what Google should be doing better. Um, and so it, they basically came out with a new memo, I guess, last week. It basically says, like, look, uh, the Mountain View company recently updated its community guidelines for employees to reflect the change in the company culture. The memo begins by emphasizing that employees at Google are are there to do a job. Yep. Basically, that's basically what it says. So it's like, it basically, here's an excerpt from the memo. Working at Google comes with a tremendous responsibility. Billions of people rely on us every day for high quality, reliable information. It's critical that we honor that trust and uphold the integrity of our products and services. The following guidelines are official policy and apply apply when you are communicating in the workplace. It basically says, um, while sharing information and ideas with colleagues helps build community, disrupting the workday to have a raging debate over politics or the latest news story does not. Our primary responsibility is to do the work we've been hired to do. Not spending working time debating on debates, um, uh, working time on debates about non-work topics. Amen. A. That's right. So basically, because they've because they've dealt with three years of this nonsense, which this Wired article greatly chronicles. Um, they're basically saying, "Shut your faces, do your jobs." Yep. And, and you know what? Um, what you do on your any company that's smart. I mean, if if I'm paying you to come in and accomplish something for me, I own your time, and part of that is you give up certain rights. I mean, that's I own you for that time. Sorry, if you don't like it, go. But I'm not going to sit here yeah, and maybe they'll get back to innovating and. Yeah. Instead of virtue signaling. Yeah, it would be nice. And I, and I think um, it would be nice, right? So, like, a, really, a lot of the rabble-rousers that caused a lot of the turmoil over the last three years, so Andy Rubin's obviously gone. Um, this Liz Fong-Jones, uh, site engineer, who basically would rabble-rouse, and then when she would get harassed online, um, play victim, she resigned. Um, this Kevin, uh, what's Kernicky, which was kind of the, the right-wing evil antagonist of the story, um, was, you know, he, he, he left the company and he's filed basically a, uh, something, uh, uh, a, a suit with the national labor relations board, James Damore. We all know what happened yep. to that poor guy. Um, this Meredith Whitaker who basically stirred up all the stuff about Maven and then, you know, co-organized the women's walkout and, uh, oh, she also petitioned to remove the president of the Heritage Foundation from AI's, uh, from Google's AI Ethics Council. For those of you who don't remember what Google's AI Ethics Council was supposed to be, it was supposed to be in kind of this open council that would bring in different names, different people with different views, different backgrounds in to discuss AI ethics. One of the people who they wanted to bring on on this AI ethics uh, board is a prominent member of the Heritage Foundation, which is a conservative think tank. She's African-American. Uh, she's very pro-choice, a pro-life, pro I'm sorry. And so basically people, this Meredith Whitaker chick just kind of stirred up foment within the ranks and say, hey, why is this, you know, for lack of a better word, evil person on the AI ethics council? 
that then basically caused pressure for the peop- other people who are outside of Google who are on the ethics AI, uh, the uh, AI ethics council to drop. And then Google subsequently scrapped the entire AI ethics council because of this uh, rabble rousing. Um, well, Meredith is gone. And then, of course, Claire Stapleton, who was a former YouTube uh, marketing manager uh, who helped also lead the uh, November 2018 Women's Walkout, um, basically was slowly but surely forced out. And she probably has a also has a case with probably the national with the uh, National Labor Relations Board because there, there was clear signs of retaliation on her part. Um, you know, probably because a she was a rabble rouser too. she got pregnant. Three, they definitely discriminated against her because of A, that, and two, she was like a rabble rouser. Um, and so this, it's, it's ugly how the, you know, these, these cadre of folks were gotten rid of, right? Because they, they all resigned, but it, they're all pushed out. Right. Um, because Google, I think, as a corporate entity is like, all right, enough of this nonsense. Like, we, we, we got a job to do. And now there's increased government scrutiny on how they do their job. Right. And so because of all this bad press, they've lost their, their cachet in the Valley of being the cool place to work. Gone are the days of the interns where you have, um, uh, Owen Wilson and, and, uh, God, what's the guy's name? I always forget Vince Vaughn making, you know, I mean, you got to think, go back 10 years and how lauded it was to work at Google. Mm -hmm. how, because it did have this culture, which I, I admit it was is cool to have, but that allowed the freedom for them to come up with things like Google Maps and Google Wave, which is gone, um, which became basically a lot of the uh, a lot of the inputs into Google Docs, into um, uh, AdSense, into all this stuff, right? All that freedom, right? But you're a plucky startup. Now you're an established brand and company, right? And you you can't a deal with social justice BS, b uh, hire um, introverted, slightly autistic, uh, 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 genius jerks. That that's not going to fly anymore. You need steady engineers, product product managers, and like DevOps to do the job of making sure that this cash cow for which Alphabet de- derives almost 90% of its revenue from, Alphabet being the parent company that oversees Google, DeepMind, YouTube, whatever, um, you got to build a steady state company. Right. The real world, the real world means, is calling. You're not, you're not in college anymore. Yeah, yeah, right. The real world's calling. It means you need to get serious. Um, and I think Google wants to clean house and they want a corporate culture that's more in lockstep with what it wants to do. It wants to go into China. It will inevitably go into China. And that will require compromise. And you need a certain type of employee that is gonna just be like, well, this is what I this is what I get paid to do. Right. Now that doesn't mean you're gonna get the best and the brightest engineers at that point. You'll get personally all engineers are pretty bright. Um, but yeah, this this you is won't just get the distractions or the risk. Yeah. And and that's what's happened. Um, of obviously, of course, it, uh, the next web author of this article um, was not very happy about Google's new moves, but you have to understand um, Google is just another, as he says, stuffy big tech company worried about its own bottom line. 
and there's nothing particularly wrong with that. <laughs> he actually laments it in his yeah. – <laughs> it's how most tech companies operate. But you have to feel bad for the employees who've been there for a decade or more. Those who were hired back when Don't Be Evil was, in, was you know, more important than Don't Upset Anyone. Um, you guys have been upsetting people for a long time. And to say that you're not evil was always kind of self-serving. You're a big, stuffy tech company now. Yep. You can hire free thinkers from time to time. But most likely, from a Google perspective and even a YouTube perspective, you need product managers, engineers, DevOps. That is it. You don't need people, you know, making decisions. You don't need – you have Google Brain and Deep um, and a deep mind and Waymo and other divisions when they're alphabet you can go off and do crazy stuff with. Right. Google is the cash cow. They're, and I'm pretty sure after the fact – because, I mean, it, the, the Wired article that I can allude back to makes all these it, – it, you know, like they were – you know, the employees were turning on like – Sergey Brin and Larry Page and all the C-suite executives, and it was making them uncomfortable, right? They thought that they could placate the mob because they were um, sympathetic to the fact that the election of Donald Trump and the travel ban and all these other things, that they were very sympathetical with their employees who don't like those policies. But then the inmates started leading the asylum, and it started interfering with their ability to do business. And so that's essentially what we've seen here. That's it. Yep. And uh, it's it's good. I hope this means that Google gets back to doing some innovation, but most importantly, get back to its core mission, which is organizing the world's information and making it available to to most people. Which it which it still does, right? right? I mean, here's the deal: these were just very loud minority employees, right? right? A minority number of employees. I think the rank and file Googler, while they may lean politically left, really just wants to come in, get get the job done, get their six figure check, and go home to their go home to their um, their home where they live with seven other engineers because a house costs two billion dollars, <laughs> you know, in it, Silicon yeah. Valley. Um, it, 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 so they're they're more worried about trying to eat, right? right. <laughs> Then and, and trying to do trying to do a good job and trying to move up in their careers and stuff like that, or maybe even build their own, you know, build their cachet so they can then branch out and do a tech startup. Then they are worried about like issues of, I mean, no offense, issues of harassment, issues of bad policy coming from D.C., issues of you know social justice, uh, you know, you know, hanging with the, you know, making a comment in the polyamorous group in Google Plus in the corporate Google Plus. I mean. Uh, uh, most people, I find, just want to go in, pack their lunch, knock out some, you know, knock out some tasks and go home. And I think what Google's doing now by maybe kind of maybe silencing is too strong a word, but they greatly. I don't think it's silencing so much as just incentivizing people to it, like. It, it's just yeah. refocusing people on what we're here for. And w- there's a time and place for that kind of debate, but this is not it. And, 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 and yeah. you know, just reinforcing that value and kind of trying to remind people, hey, but just simmer down. The, the, yeah. the, 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 the conflict will still be there, <laughs> I promise, so that when you go home, you can have these conversations online. And, and that's fine. You know, I don't see anywhere where Google's saying we're going to monitor your offline 
activity and punish you at work because of it. They're not doing that. They're saying, when you're here to do a job, do your job. It's funny, yeah. They, they, in, 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 in light of that, you are absolutely 100% correct. It doesn't mean they're not, offline, they're not monitoring offline conversations to like retaliate against you at work. It's still run by human beings. And if your boss sees you posting on a pro MAGA site and you're working a very progressive department of said alphabet, to think that you're not going to get any retaliation would be silly. But, you know, but then there's laws against that. Right. So, and, you know, and, corporate, and typically there's corporate HR policies against that stuff too. Rarely enforced, but it happens. Um, so, yeah, I'm, you know, it's good on Google. Um, bad on the, yeah, I feel sorry for the employees that kind of started out there where it's like, oh, I used to be a lot better or stuff like Everyone always says that. That's true. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you guys are still working for the large, one of the largest tech companies in the world, making pretty much way above industry average if you're a rank-and-file engineer. Um, it's still the best company in the world to work for. Uh, you still get, you know, relatively cheaper free lunches. You still get to hang out and do cool stuff and build cool stuff for people. So, you know, focus on that stuff. No one, no one outside of Google cares what you think about politics. That's just me. So, all right, well, you know, um, that was the more heavier, headier subject. Um, before we get into the cryptocurrency minute, anything else caught your eye this week? There was an interesting article that I, I meant to read and I, I, I meant to bookmark on, um, I forget who put it out on uh, the Apple iPhone and iPad vulnerabilities that go back a couple of years that involved daisy chaining of... Um, two or three different vulnerabilities that were widely known and um, essentially giving anyone who was able to exploit them full control over your device. Um, didn't really get into it. The, the title of the, of the article kind of stuck out to me, which was um, it, this new f or not, it wasn't even newfound. It was this uh, kind of uh, reported, exploitation of vulnerabilities which was you know pretty easy to do i mean relatively easy i uh, you or i probably couldn't but you know someone who's a hacker would um yeah. basically gave every iphone and ipad owner a reason to consider another platform for their devices so um i don't know maybe i'll look into that and try to get a little bit more as a security guy that that kind of touched on me but um you know just a reminder that yeah you know no matter how secure things are or or are marketed to be you know apple being the one saying we're the only platform that can't be broken well you're broken so i wonder if that has anything to do with this one story in the guardian i, I was kind of going over where google says hackers have put monitoring implants in iphones for google years was the company it was a google um it, it was a google I don't know, division or group or whatever that actually reported the vulnerability and that they were able to exploit it. So I, I, I'll bet it was the same thing. Oh, okay. So I'm kind of kind of looking through the now. So I guess uh, this one engineer by the name of, his last name's Beer. Excellent. <laughs> he's my friend. <laughs> um, yeah, now he's, my, now he's my new buddy. So he's a member of Project Zero. That's it. Uh, a white hat yes. hacker, hackers inside Google who work to find security vulnerabilities in popular tech, no matter who it's produced that was, by. That was it. It was Google Project uh, Zero that reported the uh, the vulnerabilities. How long ago did they report the vulnerabilities? Uh, I don't 
again, I, I, I browsed over it while I was on vacation in San Diego, just it caught a couple sentences on it, but, uh, uh, apparently the vulnerability has existed for at least a couple of years. Right. And of course they, they were able to daisy chain these together. So, which again, um, that's, that's the whole nature of, of OPSEC and, or like, you know, taking multiple pieces of information i.e. or different in, or in chaining together different vulnerabilities and then being able to exploit that and stuff. That's, that's, that's statecraft. That's hacker craft. Right. I mean, we just, you know, we just had Black Hat not too long ago, too. And, of course, my uh, my coworker who came from there, I mean, you know, sc- you know, scared the Jesus out of us about all that other stuff. So, um, and, and so, yeah, it's that's that's actually pretty interesting. So, yeah, no, from, you know, that's going to get that's getting tougher and tougher yeah. because there are much more vectors of attack. Correct for you know taking advantage and exploitation and and people, and, the, so. and the hackers are i'm sorry but the most creative and innovative people in the world right <laughs> you don't get much more uh creative and innovative than they do yeah scary stuff that's why i'm android all right man so other, yeah no there's no other things i got man i mean i think we actually did kind of go over the uh yeah i guess we did go over that kind of hacker program but it'd be nice to know like the the details of it also this week i guess 5g uh sprints 5g network launched in new york los angeles phoenix and dc excellent all right i think i think that's it all right so any closing thoughts nope i'm again going to uh it's 11 23 a.m it's almost beer time so it's past beer time for me. I'm going to crack one here right after this broadcast. Um, so with that, with no further ado, I have been Nick Way. I am, I've been Nick Way, a.k.a. Thaddeus Preston, or the other way around. I am at Nick Way on Twitter. That's N-I-C-K-W-A-Y-E. And what's your handle at there, At Liberty Gary? and Bruise. Boom. So follow us on Twitter. And also, you know, follow. Thank you for your servers and the whole make Liberty Great Again podcast uh, podcast network to get the latest and the greatest from us as we rant and rave about, you know, all things tech and culture and, you know, whatever we're talking about. And uh, stay tuned. Might be some bonus content coming your way (laughs) for those of you who like beer. Excellent. Thank you for logging in to thank you for your servers. That is, that is all. We're out. (laughs) 